Welcome to Mission Matters, celebrating the people and initiatives that embody the Jesuit tradition of St. Louis University, celebrating what matters in the 200-year-old mission that is SLU, brought to you from the Office of Mission and Identity. St. Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, as a body is one, though it has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ. The body is not a single part, but many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again, the head to the feet, I do not need you. Indeed, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are all the more necessary. So though we are many parts, we are all one body. And so that there may be no division in the body, the parts have concern for one another. If one part suffers, all suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts share in its joy. What does it mean to build community? What does it mean to be a community? It means that we are one, even in our disagreements, in our distance, in our differences of perspective or opinion, we form one body. We are a community. And in these days of dispersion, the notion of community is even more important. Community does not mean that we are uniform. Community is unified through our diversity. So welcome back to Mission Matters. This is one of our several episodes that are being done by Zoom conference call. And so we apologize up front for the audio skipping that might be happening. But today I am thrilled to be talking with Aaron Schmidt and Patrick Cousins from Campus Ministry. And you're going to share a little bit with us today about all the goings on of Campus Ministry. So welcome, Aaron and Patrick. Thank you, sister. Thank you. And I guess the first thing I'd like to ask, because I know everybody's wondering, how are you doing in this strange time of working from home? And how are the students doing? Right. I think I'm doing pretty good. My baking skills have never been better. Uh, I think that's probably a common across most of the country these days. I saw a thing about banana bread now being the official food of the, the, the pandemic. And I'm right in there. Student-wise, I've been talking to quite a few students and... I'm hearing a lot of, what are they calling it, Zoom brain, and just, yeah. you know, the, the kind of paradox of having such a schedule where there's, you know, it's so different from their normal schedule, but people are just kind of wiped out and are finding themselves overburdened by ju just the disruption as much as anything. It's not even so much what we do, although certainly students have a lot of homework that they're doing and caring for family members and so on, but I think just we have not done a good job of naming the trauma of this apart from just what this does to what the sickness of the, the virus does to people's bodies. But there's a, an ongoing uh, just reality of trauma that I'm seeing that people are not doing a good job of naming. And to see stuff about like, you should be accumulating more skills and knocking out this and that and the other project to me is, is, is just kind of like a, a hyper-functionalization of something that just really um, is just traumatizing up and down for people. Yeah, nobody's lived through a global pandemic before. <laughs> and, you know, the, the initial sense of, well, maybe this won't last very long is long gone. Right. So, I And I'd say I'm doing pretty decent. I'm lucky to have 
have a lot of supports. So I think that's an important part of this is what supports does one have? As a single mom, if I didn't have a few people helping me, I constantly am thankful for that because I'm thinking of the people who don't, right? You can't bring your kids to the store. So how do you go to the store? Those kinds of things, I think those, as Patrick said, the trauma of you know trying to figure out how to live in a world like this. And the students are feeling it too, especially since most of them, at least my able-bodied students, they are taking on burdens that most people who are full-time students aren't doing, right? They're working several jobs to support their families who have lost jobs. They're trying to hold it together the best that they can and just learning how to learn in a new way, right? This education system has set them up to learn in a particular way the past 10 plus years. And now they've got to figure out a new way to do that. And of course, professors are, and staff members are trying to figure out how that works too. But I think for them, them living it in crucial years is it's trauma in a different way. And so just trying to support them and to be an ear to listen, I think is very helpful to them to help make sure that they're not alone. Yesterday, I uh, was invited to speak to the two PA classes. So the PA students um, in the Doisy College of Health Sciences, and they wanted someone to talk about how do you live your faith in, in time of crisis, in the time of, a, of COVID. And so um, a lot of them, besides the personal tra trauma of trying to figure out things, how in terms of faith do they live that out? And um, how do they live that out as healthcare providers or future healthcare providers who are on a clinic, but not in clinic. So I think that was an interesting conversation as well. What are you finding has provided comfort or at least a sense of community or hope or what are, what are you finding? It's, it's serendipitous, but um, you know, this, this thing really escalated right at the time where the three big monotheistic traditions in the world have some of their most important festivals of the year. You know, obviously the Easter season is still going on. Um, the Jewish community is just wrapping up Passover. Ramadan started last week and we have a few more weeks of Ramadan to go. The Hindu tradition also um, is just celebrating Holi, I think. Um, and so there's something serendipitous about celebrations that are at once so family oriented and community oriented and it's, it's sort of jarring to see so many people having to rethink really from the ground up celebrations that they've lived their entire life celebrating one way and now have to think about doing it another way. But the, the kind of power of those moments doesn't go away just because you have to do it differently. And so, you know, several friends of mine who um, are Jewish, you know, I'm keeping up with the podcast that they're doing around Passover, obviously all of the Easter things that I'm seeing and we're seeing. Uh, talking to our Muslim students about what what the celebration of Ramadan is looking like, and people are resilient and people are navigating anew, but people continue to navigate. And I think that the power of these moments in people's lives is that they they keep coming through for us, even if they have to look different in particular moments. You know what I'm saying? So like Ramadan as a as an act of solidarity with people who don't have a choice about being hungry is an act of solidarity, and solidarity is is changing a little bit right now but it endures right. you know it, it morphs it, it mutates it grows and it becomes sort of richer even as there's a frustration of 
we would like to be celebrating with our community from all over the Muslim world right now as we gather in the masjid and we can't do that. But the resilience of the, of the celebration and the resilience of the spirit, I think, is finding new ways for it to keep doing its thing. So that, I guess that's encouraging that, that people continue to find ways to ritualize hope, uh, that there is more than just what we can see in front of us right now. And I would add like students are done being asked how school's going. They're done being asked how they feel about Zoom. They, yeah. they just want to be. And so finding time to, like Patrick said, bring in ritual or things that bring in the comfort of whatever normalcy that they had experienced before, doing it in a new way and just listening to how they are, talk about something else like music or how they're finding grocery shopping. I don't know, something that's not have to do with the pandemic. I, I believe comforting to them to realize that that life life is being consumed by this right now, but life is more than that. And so right. how do we find hope? How do we find humor? How do we still play together in ways that, that breed community? So um, just talk to me about what some of those things are. How are you, what are the activities? Like I know you're doing dozens of things in, in a variety of ways. So brag a little bit. <laughs> This is not bragging on me at all. I need to brag about our incredible choir director. Um, yes. <laughs> right. So um, our choir is outstanding anyway. And I am pretty low tech, despite doing a lot of the tech for the department. I'm pretty low tech. But Sally Ioka, our choir director, has just been done an amazing job of having individual choir members record their parts of performances and send them in. And some kind of magic she has managed to to bring them all together electronically and to produce just magnificent versions of the music. You would think that you've got all these people together in one room singing together, but they're scattered. Every week too, every, right? Yeah. Every I don't week. know how she does this. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Our YouTube channel every week. And like Patrick said, the fact that they sound good <laughs> is, <laughs> is amazing. You know, we did Stations of the Cross that students wrote for the pandemic um, in particular. And we did that two Fridays and just trying to speak a simple line together was difficult. So getting all of those voices together and she does have um, some, some good software <laughs> that is helpful, but she's definitely talented in more, more ways than one. And she just, the community, so like they meet together on Tuesdays still for choir rehearsal and you know, all of that has really built community. Upper Room continues to meet as Upper Zoom. And so um, I think having those things and then plugging into other um, instances, the uh, Jesuit communities who, who are sailing da saying daily mass and plugging students into that, as well as the parish live stream, I think allows us to still do what we're doing, but not be unrealistic with the amount of work that we can do at this time, yeah. which is very helpful. Yeah, Sally, that has been just a light and she is so this Sunday, which will have already happened um, in this post, but like this Sunday, she we're doing an end of the year mass to try and bring closure for people who, especially seniors who just don't, they're like, this is not what it was supposed, this is not how life was supposed to be. This is not how my senior year is supposed to be. So to provide some closure and um, Sally will once again have the choir record the music for that and we'll pipe it into the church and the live stream so that we have quality sound as opposed to non-quality sound. 
Um, so it'll be an interesting experience, but I definitely look forward to being in that space again to help people find closure um, and to celebrate as well. Oh, how important it is to be able to celebrate, especially when you know exactly what you're describing, the graduating seniors, or even if you're not a senior, all that's been lost in this spring semester the athletes who are missing, you know, the, the ability to be seen and scouted or the clinicals for everyone. I mean, just the, the normal operational college experiences, not to mention the friends that you didn't get to say goodbye to and all of that. For me, the notion of how abruptly this came upon us, that the students went on spring break and basically never came back. Yeah, and, and I think that was an interesting touch point for our office because almost all of us staff members were with students on immersion experiences all over the country. And, right. uh, you know, and so at one level, that was really jarring, as you say, to like come back in from wherever you were for an, an immersion and then basically get in your car and drive home or something to that effect. And at the same time, I can't speak about other experiences, but like I was in the Navajo Nation with a group of students and the Navajo Nation has been exceedingly hard hit by this for a whole variety of infrastructure reasons and you know social factors about Navajo life on the reservation and it's been a reminder that the solidarity doesn't go away one we don't have to make, we don't have to sort of like rank suffering for me to say i'm having a hard go of it that i can say that and not be spitting on people who's who are dealing with material poverty and loss of job and all of that stuff just because i'm sort of daunted by daily life but there's also a reminder that like, had I not had the opportunity to be with this community on the reservation at spring break, I, would, I probably would have never paid attention to the reality of what this virus is doing to Navajo folks. And maybe gives me a clue to start thinking about what are other indigenous communities looking like around the country and around the world that may well not have the infrastructure or may not have the kind of historical resources available that other communities are having to deal with this. With, not only the sickness itself, but the kind of ripple effects that this, you know, around jobs and around, you know, access to medical care and access to schooling and transportation and all of the things that, that go beyond just, am I sick or with this virus or not? So mm -hmm. there, there, even there, there has been a kind of hope for me seeing the students that I was with who have keep, kept checking in and sending, sending articles to each other about mm -hmm. stuff that they're hearing about the reservation. But yes, you're right. I mean, the, just the loss. And that's something we're starting to think about for not just our graduating seniors, although certainly them too, but our incoming first year students is that just as much as our seniors are losing their chance to finish up the way that they would have wanted to, our incoming students, or at least the traditional age ones, are losing the opportunity to finish high school the way that they would have wanted to. And we don't mm -hmm. presume that they're going to show up carte blanche at whatever point we return to campus. So as much as we are trying to ritualize hope for the students and staff and faculty who are with us now, we also are aware that we need to be doing the same thing for students who will come in with whatever amount of trauma it might be around the loss of the academic year of their senior year, family and friends who have been sick, jobs that have been lost, all of the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, they are too, they're just not here yet, but they're coming, you know. And it, this is, it, it becomes our problem. It becomes our responsibility to respond to them at that place. I'll also just mention really quickly, since you asked us to toot horns a little bit, we, we recently set up a, a blog to try to give faculty and staff and students a place to do both, some of that work of both lamenting, you know, bringing speech to pain, 
as well as bringing celebration to things that need to be appropriately celebrated. And we, we are calling it, we remember slew, we re-hyphen member, like remember at the level of we remember things, but also of remember as in bringing back together the members of the body of Christ, which are scattered all over the place right now. And, you know, it's been really cool to me as the person who puts those posts up on the blog and publishes them to see the stuff that people are saying. And it's, it's not complicated. People aren't doing these heavy analyses, but it's, I miss this person. I miss seeing the person who checks me out uh, of getting, from getting my lunch at the counter in the B school every day. I miss seeing my friends walking up and down the, the walkway, you know, West Pine Mall, but I'm celebrating this and that and the other and the ways in which people are stepping up and reaching out. I'm proud of SLU that we are you know, providing housing for healthcare workers in Reinhardt Hall. And the spirit is, is still doing its thing. And it, I think it's, it's cool to give people the chance to, to put that out there in a public forum that certainly there is so much that we've lost and there's so much to be mourned. And that stuff doesn't destroy that which is worth celebrating. Our students have so much to be celebrating right now and we need to be celebrating them so much right now. And I would hate to think that that gets lost in grief and in frustration over what we can't do right now. Sure. Yeah, there's a fine, um, I don't want to call it a fine line or even a balance, but it's, a, it's an interesting relationship, let's call it that, between naming and grieving and looking forward and hoping. If you lean too far in one way or the other, you either become fatalistic or idealistic. <laughs> yeah, that's right both of them and kind of walking that line, knowing that your weight is going to shift on one side or the other at any given time. I think um, there's a lot to that. Yeah, I, I saw that yesterday in particular. Um, there was a Zoom call. So for the AJCU, all the American Jesuit Catholic Universities campus ministers had a call. Um, and there were a few of us from the department um, and every other department. Um, I think there were like 65 of us and we had breakout sessions and we chatted and sent notes and all of that. And one of the main topics was a ritual of return. Like, what does it look like to do something, not just to go about your business and have a mass of the Holy Spirit, but what does it mean to have some sort of, just as we're having a ritual to, to bring closure, what does it mean to have a ritual of return? And how do you find the interesting relationship between mourning and grieving and hope and joy in all of that in creating a ritual of return and i think one of the other things about the spirit that we're recognizing is creativity right we're doing so many new and different things and everything i'm hearing from people is why haven't we been doing this all along right there's you no know, birthday caravans going up and down the street and families going to visit parents in nursing homes in different ways but maybe not even at they're doing it more than they ever had. So people are saying, why haven't, why haven't all the campus ministers been on this technology that's already existed and talking to each other about what they're doing and the struggles and the joys in that. So I think it has made room for the spirit to be creative in us and through us um, in ways that would not have happened otherwise. I'm not wishing a pandemic on anyone, but it's definitely recognizing the goodness that God can create from the sorrow and the grief. And Absolutely. The space created. And, you know, just as a side note, so many friends or family members you hear who say things like, you know, I always used to say, oh, I wish I had time for, 
and fill in the blank. I wish I had more time with my family. I wish, you know, I could get everybody around the same table more often. I wish I could not be so plagued by the demands of the calendar all the time. And so much of that has now been forced upon us, the notion of radical availability to the person right in front of you. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Whether you like it or not. They're important lessons that I think if this had been more temporary, you know, a week, two weeks, I'll speak for myself. I felt a lot differently in week one and week two than I do now in week seven. <laughs> and so the notion of the permanence of the lessons is really something I've been giving a lot of thought to. So, well, um, as we draw this to a close, is there anything you want to spotlight or draw attention to for the greater SLU community? Like, Yeah, I think for me, a recognition of ritual as a way to, so what does it mean to create ritual for one's own self, one's own family, in order to find a sense of gratitude and joy in what's going on? Um, and the, the two things I have are, personally, we've been, my family we did the, We started this in Lent, but we are continuing it as a gratitude journal. So I have small children. So having them at the end of the day, I notice a radical shift in how they go to sleep and how they wake up when I ask them what they're grateful for at the end of the day. And of course, it's always heartwarming for them to point to me, but it's also great to be able to tell them like that I'm thankful for them because I think there's a lot of tension that's going around with people who are living in such close quarters to one another something else that uh, we're getting ready to release again, trying to figure out how to pin it to our Facebook page is a kind of an amalgamation of various blessings in the Catholic household blessings and prayers, but it's a blessing of living spaces during times of disease that I wrote with some colleagues. And so it has the, the possibility of, of anyone being the leader in your household. And I'm really looking forward to doing this with my, with my kids of going from room to room and saying, thank you for this space. Thank you for this. Bless this space and our time together and specifically for what it is and, and blessing it with holy water if it's available or a prayer to ask God to bless water in order to sprinkle. And so I think just recognizing in particular, the Christian tradition is embodied. So how do we embody those things that tie us to something greater than ourselves? And so that'll be around. Um, it's specifically for the Easter season, but can be used for any time. So that's fantastic. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll have to keep our eyes out for that. Thank you. Patrick, how about you? Um, this is, this is actually just a shout out to people beyond the borders specifically of campus ministry, but, um, seeing the work, um, that so many offices are doing to keep folks going and to keep tabs on one another, it would be, even though it's always, possible for people to fall through the cracks. I think just a moment like this makes it easier for people to fall through the cracks when we're all just kind of scrambling anyway. And I, I really need to just say a big thank you to the Dean of Students Office, to Donna Best Myers, the Dean of Students, and the people who are working with her and her office to support students who might be falling through the cracks. She has become really just a, a kind of hub of getting students the resources that they need. She always is, but like right now, especially, I, I, I just can't imagine the just the onslaught of needs that she's facing around financial aid, around mental health care, around care for grades and outstanding fees from the university that might be keeping people from graduating and so on. 
And so Donna and her office, and then Debbie Lowy in, in student development has just been really working hard to, to support all of us, all of the staff in student development who are trying to keep, you know, keep our portion of the ship afloat. So, you know, people who don't necessarily get a lot of front page press, but who are doing a lot of work to keep people going. So I guess that's the biggest thing that I would want to just say a thank you to is people who are, um, who are doing a lot of stuff to keep, keep things going. And all the people who aren't named because they quietly do their thing and make their contributions to the mission. I mean, that's part of what this is all about. Uh, mission Manners, trying to give voice to all the places where the mission is lived out quietly, but steadily, where it's hidden in plain sight. So thank you, Patrick and Aaron, for the time today and many, many, many blessings as you continue your ministry. And to you, thank you, sister, for the time. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Amen.